I'm Hilary McClure, Vice President of Multimedia Productions at Cybercrime Magazine. I'm here today with Roger Grimes, data-driven defense evangelist for Know Before, the world's first and largest new school security awareness training and simulated phishing provider that helps you manage the ongoing problem of social engineering. To learn more about Know Before, visit knowbefore.com. Roger, hello, hello. Welcome back. Always glad to be with you, Hillary, and everybody else who turns in weekly, tunes in weekly. Yeah, well, Roger, there is a there's a first story for us. There is a lot going on in the Twitterverse this week, as Twitter has announced they will no longer allow users who do not pay for a Twitter Blue subscription to use text-based two-factor authentication to protect their accounts. Now, I don't think text-based authentication is a Roger Grimes favorite anyway, but Roger, take it away. <laughs> what do you think about this? Yeah, yeah, that, that's funny. There's, yeah, there's a lot of people uh, on the Twitterverse saying, well, this is a great thing. There's good and bad. Like some people are saying this is terrible that Twitter is charging for authentication, this text-based, uh, SMS-based authentication. And, and that, that's certainly a concern. I don't know of any other service. I'm sure there are some, but no popular service, Facebook and Instagram and all that. They don't charge you for using multi-factor authentication. Uh, so people are upset about that, and I think rightfully so. A lot of people are going, hey, you shouldn't be using SMS-based authentication, which is true because SMS, short messaging service-based authentication, is a really poorly authenticated uh, authentication method. Uh, people can fake phone numbers. You can easily be socially engineered and responding to the wrong SMS message. Uh, the U.S. government's been saying not to use phone number-based, including SMS-based, since it's phone number-based authentication since at least 2017. Uh, but a lot of people are like, hey, I'm so glad you got off of that SMS-based stuff. You can start using Google Authenticator instead. And I'm like, well, I kind of got it, you know, got into the mix by going, hey, it really isn't that much better. Uh, you know, text, uh, one-time factor, time-based one-time factor, uh, TOTP as they call it, time-based one-time factor, solutions like everybody's happy to use, they're actually not that much better than text-based uh, or the phone number-based solutions. And the U.S. government's been recommending that no one use one-time password factors like Google Authenticator, Microsoft Authenticator since two th at least 2020. <laughs> so going on three years, so I'm like, okay, you know, be careful dog in SMS space because the solution that you're all saying that you should go to, these Google Authenticators, are just as... Uh, Fishable, and I, I got a lot of people yelling at me and going, "Well, how can you hack it?" And I would tell them, and they go, "Well, you can't hack it this way. You can't." I'm like, "Yeah, I can. I can hack any time-based, one-time password-based uh, MFA, like you know, ten, eleven different ways." And the and the biggest thing is that both methods, whether it's SMS-based or this, you know, time-based, one-time factor passwords, they both can be easily fished meaning that somebody can send you a text message or an email claiming to be, I guess in this case, Twitter. And if you don't realize that, then you will type the code that's being requested to a bad guy that then uses it and takes over your account. Uh, and it's not phishing resistant. None of the methods that you can use with Twitter is phishing resistant, unless you can use FIDO-based. Like FIDO-based is one of the many solutions uh, that are phishing resistant. And let me say, every MFA can be fished, every MFA method can be hacked, but if you can be as easily hacked as a password, the whole reason we're going from passwords to these other 
you know, supposedly more advanced authentication methods is that, you know, passwords can be easily hacked, can be easily stolen. And if the method that is replacing your password, you know, text-based MFA or one-time password-based MFA can be as easily stolen as a password, you really didn't gain anything, you know? So I got caught up in that turmoil on that, you know, there's a couple of things going on. Twitter is charging for it. I understand somebody uh, said that using this text-based MFA, actually uh, Twitter gets charged. There's like a five or 10 cent charge every time you use text-based MFA, like using text-based MFA isn't free for Twitter. We all know since Elon Musk bought it a couple of months ago that he's trying to make Twitter profitable after years or decades of not over a decade of not being profitable. So he's just kind of facing the reality like, hey, this text-based MFA is costing us five or 10 cents a login. If people want to use this, we're going to charge them. So I, I, I can see that from a financial standpoint. Again, though, no other service charges that I know of popular social media site charges to use multi-factor authentication. They actually think the trade-off of making their users safer than if they were using a traditional password, login name, password combination is worth the cost that they're paying. You know, it's just one of those, you know, it's like when you go to a hotel, they give you a key card that supposedly only works with your hotel room door and they don't, you know, they don't make it work with other doors and they don't allow the people to open your door. Um, you know, the whole idea is that it's become requiring or allowing people to use multi-factor authentication has been seen as a, just a cost of doing business. Uh, but Elon Musk and Twitter pushed back and went, no, that's a premium thing. It costs us money. We're going to charge you for that. You got to become a blue checkmark person for nine bucks. And that's this whole, you know, Elon Musk whole thing of trying to make it profitable is to get more people on a blue checkmark. Um, and I'm not, I refuse to go to the blue checkmark. Uh, because I just think it's just bogus in the first place. Um, you know, and the whole thing is, is, you know, is Twitter not reselling our information? The whole thing about Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all these things and Gmail is that they're giving you the product for free in return for selling your information. You know, when you get the product for free, you are the product. And I don't, I haven't seen Twitter saying that they're going to stop selling all of our personal information. <laughs> so you know, I, I'm not ready to spend nine bucks a month to get a blue check mark to be verified and to be able to use multi-factor authentication and all that other stuff. You know, I myself, I, I think I'm very difficult to fish out of my password for Twitter and other public sites. So, you know, I don't even feel the need to have to protect those sites with multi-factor authentication. This may be shocking to a lot of people, but I don't put multi-factor authentication on a, on a lot of my important accounts, uh, including uh, my bank accounts and, 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 and Twitter and Facebook and all that Instagram and all that stuff. Uh, because I think the password, if I, as long as I can't be fished out of my password, those sites are, are, are protected with it. Uh, and I only use MFA on, on sites that require that I use it. I, I am, I'm a believer in MFA, but I'm also still a believer in passwords. Passwords work. If you, if you use a different strong password in every website and service, uh, you know, that, and you don't, you don't, you're not, if you don't get tricked out of revealing that password, well, then that password actually protects you really strongly. Uh, and then people say, well, you know, you can use MFA, but the vast majority of MFA that these providers are telling me to use 
time-based one-time passwords and, and text-based pass, uh, MFA, they're just as easily hackable as a password. So until you give me an option, if you're a service that gives me an option to use a phishing-resistant form of MFA, like FIDO, why should I even go there? I mean, you're literally telling me, making my life harder, making it longer to log on in, and you're not giving me the perceived security benefit that you're touting as the benefit. Why should I? The reason why I don't use MFA on a lot of my sites you know, and services is that it's all smoke and mirrors anyways. And so I, you know, I got in that tangle with a lot of the Twitter people saying, Hey, whatever you're going to, it really isn't that any better than SMS based MFA anyways. And I mean, people are yelling at me, listen, the U S government has been saying since 2020, not to use time-based one-time passwords. It's not just me, Roger Grimes coming out. The U S government's been saying it for years now and, and I often ask people, do you think the U.S. government is doing that because they're on the cutting edge of cybersecurity wanting you to do some radical thing? No, it's the, the, the U.S. government's just seen the data. They realize how easy it is to hack. When the U.S. government's telling you to do something, they're not on the cutting edge. They're on the trailing edge telling you to do something because they've seen how easily you know, if you don't do that control, how easily you can be hacked. So that's where I left it, you know, but uh, I, I created a lot of consternation in the Twitterverse uh, by, by telling them, hey, whatever you're going to, it doesn't work that well, easy, you know, that as well as you think either. Just blowing up the Twitterverse, Roger. Um, well, next up for us this episode, you wrote a recent blog post for the No Before Security Awareness training blog about unsubscribing from pesky junk emails. And this is a constant battle in all of our lives. Um, so Roger, should we click unsubscribe or, or do we risk getting even more spam? Yeah. So this is a question uh, that I, I get all the time. People say, you know, I'm getting a lot of spam or a lot of phishing attacks and these emails have unsubscribe in them. Should I click on the unsubscribe feature? And, and let me say in general, uh, if you trust the source, like, you know, if I'm getting it from a trusted brand, I get tons of email that I didn't intend to get because I bought something, you know, on Amazon or, the, you know, the, the internet or whatever, metaverse, uh, or I subscribe to a newsletter or something, all of a sudden I get all this spam. If it's coming, if the email is coming from a trusted brand, you should click on the unsubscribe button. As I wrote in the article, at least in the United States, uh, the all legitimate vendors must offer uh, unsubscription options in their mass marketing emails. It's required by the uh, two, I think it was two thousand and three Can Spam Act says that all vendors' emails, marketing emails, uh, must contain a free unsubscribe feature that's internet based, whatever that means. Although occasionally I see, un, I've seen emails that say, if you want to unsubscribe, write us, you know, in, in New York, our New York city address. I'm like, that's not what the law says. The law says you have to allow me to unsubscribe using an internet method. And certainly if you, you know, trying to find the unsubscribe feature in a vendor's email is like, you know, they try to obscure it and, and hide it in a bunch of tiny texts. You know, they make the font like, you know, four points big and it's in the middle of all this other text. And when you get to the unsubscribe feature, sometimes they're nice. You click on unsubscribe. It's like, you're unsubscribed. Let us know when you come back. A lot of other ones, like they try to almost trick you in the wording when you get to the website saying, do you want to unsubscribe? They're like, well, we'll undescribe you, unsubscribe you from this one type of email, but we're not going to unsubscribe you from these other 10 types that we could send you. Um, but you know, in, in general, if you think that the email came from a trusted brand, 
you should click on the unsubscribe button to get unsubscribed. And even then, by law in the U.S., they can have 10 days to take to remove you from the list. And they could have sold your name up until the point that you clicked unsubscribe and successfully unsubscribe. They could have resold your email address to a thousand different companies. So, you know, but at least from the point where you say unsubscribe, they must remove you from their emailing list and not sell your email address to other people. But if you get a bogus email or a spam email or a phishing email that is not coming from a trusted brand, you shouldn't click on the unsubscribe button because most of the time, uh, well, I, I don't know whether to say most, at least part of the time, that's going to that's gonna end up confirming to the spammer or fisher that you are an active email address and they're going to target you over and over again and resell your email address as a active and verified email address, which is more that's a, a higher revenue producing lead than if it was just a random email address or one that they haven't confirmed. So I, I do have a lot of people tell me I clicked on the unsubscribe button. It seemed like I got a whole lot of uh, a whole lot more spam and, and, and phishing attacks. And I'm like, yeah, that, that can be expected if you're if you're clicking on unsubscribe to bogus emails. Although, you know, it's kind of, it, it, you know, a lot of the people that are spamming you and phishing you claim to be legitimate business people they even think they're legitimate business people. And so a lot of times they will actually follow the unsubscribe request. They will, they, you know, in their corporate records, they're going to show you that they, you know, regulators that they, they listen to and follow uh, the law and the unsubscribe button. So it could be that when you click on unsubscribe, even to these bogus emails that you may get a, a company or a sender that actually listens and honors your request. The problem is you don't know, there are, you know, they're already sending you spam and phishing attacks. They're already dishonorable people, and a lot of them are just going to use it as a way to confirm that, hey, look at this person's active and available. Let me resell the heck out of that address. So that's what my unsubscribe article wrote, which is says, okay, if it comes from a legitimate vendor, yes, click on the unsubscribe button. Although I got to tell you, I've got at least a couple of uh, vendors that legitimate vendors that just will not stop sending me email. And that's because they, and at least in the U.S. with the Can Spam Act, they have um, they have this. There's these exceptions to the Can Spam unsubscribe feature called, uh, or I forget exactly off the top of my head now, but it's like we have an ongoing relationship, and if we have this ongoing relationship, they can continue to send you emails. But to me, it's kind of bogus because you've said, okay, I understand we have an ongoing e uh, relationship. I still want you to unsubscribe me to your emails, but they can argue in court that they're, they're maintaining an ongoing transaction. That's it. Transactional relationship. Uh, so you can still get emails. And I have some vendors that I haven't bought from in years, like boating magazine. Uh, I joined years ago when I wanted to buy yachts apparently, but uh, they, I've asked them to unsubscribe me 20 times and you know, they, years have gone by and they continue to send me spam. Um, and, and I forget there was another one the other day, but most of the legitimate vendors will honor your unsubscribe request. Uh, but if you get a, you know, if you think if you get a spam or a phishing email, or you're not sure if it's a legitimate vendor, I personally wouldn't click on the unsubscribe button. So that's my advice. Solid advice. And I have one quick question for you. I've noticed recently, maybe within the last year that I don't subscribe to emails, but if I just go to a website for a company, like if I'm shopping for something, I start getting emails from them. How, how, like, wh why is that a thing? How do they like, I, is it through my Chrome that they're able to connect and, and start sending me emails or what? I don't yeah, understand. It, it, 
It, uh, that's a great question. And it has to do with pretty much every, every vendor you go to mature vendor knows who you are when you visit. And that's because of Google ads, Google runs the space, but you know, your computer fingerprints you and theoretically Google ads. And, and I'm mentioning Google ads cause Google ad, you know, they, they're the big 800 pound gorilla in the room, but lots of other things, your computer is putting out all kinds of characteristics that ties Hillary and your cell phones tied to your, your, your computer, to any other device that you use, you know, it's the way that they can target you with ads. So if you visit, you know, Oh, I'm interested in possibly buying a barbecue grill well, all of a sudden in Google searches and stuff, you're seeing these ads for barbecue grills. And that's because they actually can identify your persona might be the word they use. So theoretically, they don't know your name and who you really are. But the reality is every vendor you visit kind of knows when it's you. And if that vendor has previously tied it to an email address or they subscribe to a service that has tied it to an email address, uh, and let me say, they can buy this, right? Like when you're on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, your email address that you use to register, that's stuff they sell. They sell that stuff to people that pay the money. And so when you visit these websites, these ad sensing, Google sensing ads and your ad ends, you know, can target and go, oh, this is Hillary. Hillary's visiting our website. I want to send ads to her. And now you start getting all of these ads. So, you know, that's how they do it. You know, they, it's not like they steal your email out of your computer, or out of your Google Chrome. Uh, they're just, you know, you're in the middle of this huge ecosystem, uh, metaverse, internet thing that is is trying to target you with ads. And, you know, your email address, you, you know, your privacy has been gone for decades. And uh, they, skirt, they skirt the law as best they can to target you. And so when you visit them, you know, especially like in any email, if you click, click open any email uh, and go to a vendor's website, that opening that email sends what's called a web beacon. They have one or more properties. The traditional web beacon is this transparent pixel that's within this email. You open it up and there's a link to this transparent pixel that you never see. Uh, but inside of every email you'd ever open up is this identification number that again, then ties you to this whole ad ecosystem. Uh, so if you click on any link, every link is building this profile of you somewhere along that chain, your email address got associated with that persona. And that's how they can send you emails uh, or ads targeting you, uh, even when you didn't give them anything. But it, you're right, it's an invasion of privacy. And, and it seems to be made worse by, you know, it's, it's simply sometimes you speak, you know, you talk about blackbirds out loud and all of a sudden your emails or you're, you're like, wait a minute, this seems to be too weird that I was talking about baseball gloves with my friend and all of a sudden I'm getting advertising for baseball gloves that those are the ones that are really surprising when the vendors claim, we don't, we don't record what you say. We don't listen to what you say for any other reason other than to deliver you the service you requested. But you're like, man, I'm getting a lot of baseball glove advertisements for something you claim you don't do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, thanks for, clearing that up. That's helpful. Um, <clears throat> well, finally for us, a U.S. Department of Defense cloud server was connected to the internet without a password and was spilling internal U.S. military emails to the open internet for the past 
two weeks. So Roger, what's, uh, what's going on here? What do you know? Yeah, that's a, so this was a, uh, not a classified network, but a sensitive network. So it's one level below. There's lots of those things out there. Uh, but some researcher just found out that this, it was an email server. I don't know what email system it was running. Uh, I don't think they disclosed that in the article, but the, uh, the researcher, which is a, apparently this, according uh, to this you know, article, said it's a known good researcher. Let's say luckily he's on our side, on the good guy side or good gal side. And um, he found this unprotected server and that it didn't have a password on it at all. You could literally just log into the server. You know, I've been doing this a long time. I get it. You're putting out lots of servers. I don't know how you get a server out there without a login password, like Windows, Microsoft Windows, as an example, will not let you install Windows without a password or it makes it really hard to do. You know, Linux and Unix and all, I think all the defaults allow passwords. So how did this act, How did this active email server get out there without requiring a password? I don't know. Uh, I love some of the comments on Twitter were like, oh, the government's going passwordless. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, as if they're using some type of special MFA or zero trust technology or something. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I've been doing this a long time and, you know, it happens. It's unfortunate that it happens. Uh, it probably and anytime I hear something like this, I'm like, yeah, not only is this happening, but there's probably 200 out 200,000 other servers out there just like this. It is, I doubt this is the only one in the world. I doubt it's the only one in the government network that just doesn't have the password enabled. I mean, humans make mistakes. I would, you know, I, I have to think the human had to go out of their way not to install a password. Like I, I think most systems and services and daemons and stuff require a password these days. So I think a human being had to make a mistake to allow this to become what it is. Uh, but then, you know, this researcher actually went in and looked at the email data, I, I, I think, bordering on potential crime. Uh, like, w let me say to most people, if you find a flawed server or something, you should not go in, look, and go in and look at the data. Once you're like, oh, I can actually see data, you should get back out. Going in and looking at somebody's personal data actually violates the law in the United States and a lot of other countries. You know, so it was interesting. This article was able to reflect and report on all kinds of different data that they saw. Um, it's illegal to look at that data, even if you can. So I would recommend to any penetration testers, anybody that is routinely trying to find if a server is compromised, once you know that you can compromise a server or service and you've confirmed that, that's about as far as you can legally go. And actually going to look at data. And I would say maybe as a test, you're like, oh, let me see if I can read this email. Oh, I can. After that, you need to back out and do responsible disclosure to the stakeholder or owner of that website or service. But it was clear to me that this uh, this company uh, that wrote the article had seen a ton of data. And I, I, I think they're opening themselves up to, you know, potential uh, prosecution, not the media, because the media, as long as you didn't pay the person or tell them to do something illegally, you know, the media can report on any information, uh, but as long as you didn't, you know, say, hey, to steal it or pay them for it or whatever. But the person that is giving that information is actually putting themselves at increased legal risk. And so I think the person that's doing this, a good guy hacker, is trying to do good things, but just want to uh, let you know when you're looking at volumes of private data, you're opening yourself up to some uh, potentially legal exposure there. 
Uh, so that's what I would finish by saying that is it was just a, a scary, funny thing that they found this government server exposed to the internet with no password. The real lesson is there's probably 200,000 other servers just like that out there. Uh, and if it's not 200,000, let's just say there, this isn't the only server and everybody should always do permission checks and uh, authentication checks of all their services and servers to make sure their one didn't get by. Uh, you know, it happens. And so put policies and processes in place so, so that you don't become involved with the server that has no password on it. Absolutely. Sound advice as always, Roger. Well, thanks so much for covering these three topics with me. And uh, as always, I'm looking forward to next week. Agreed. And again, thanks everybody for showing on up and keep fighting the good fight. I'm Hillary McClure, Vice President of Multimedia Productions at Cybercrime Magazine. Joining me today was Roger Grimes, data-driven defense evangelist for Know Before, the world's first and largest new school security awareness training and simulated phishing provider that helps you manage the ongoing problem of social engineering. 